0: Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swords. This is the podcast segment of the show that's not broadcast on Station KALA. Our guest for this 442nd show is Dr. Bruce Grayson, Chester Carlson, Professor Emeritus of Psychiatry at the University of Virginia, and we'll be talking about his book, After, A Doctor Explores What Near-Death Experiences Reveal About Life and Beyond. Our history buffs for today are Rick Sweet and Ed Broders. And Ed, why don't you start us off?
1: Thanks, Jay. Um, Bruce, can you give us a little insight into what led you into this particular field of psychiatry?
2: Uh, Wow, that's a great question. Uh, I I was raised in a scientific household. My parents were scientists. Uh, We didn't have any spiritual or religious background, and we just accepted that the physical world was all there is. When you die, that's the end of things, and I went through college and medical school with that mindset that this is all there is, and that was fine with us, and then when I started my psychiatric training, I very quickly was confronted by patients who were dying and sometimes came back from that near-death state and would tell me things that they saw when they were apparently unconscious from an out-of-body perspective that I could corroborate were really true. And that didn't make any sense to me. I couldn't understand how that could be. But, you know, they were playing a trick on me somehow. This can't be true. Uh, So I, I started just listening to their stories and trying to figure out, Are they crazy, and how are they getting this information? And a few years later, one of my colleagues at the University of Virginia, Raymond Moody, wrote a book called Life After Life, in which he described these experiences and gave them a name, near-death experiences. And that was my first inclination, my first intimation, that these were not just isolated stories from the various patients, but they were part of a, a huge phenomenon, and I still didn't could, couldn't understand how it could be. If it's just a physical world, how can you leave your body? But I realized that as a scientist, I have an obligation now to try to understand it. You know, we make progress by science, in science by studying things we don't understand. And this is certainly something I couldn't make sense of. So I started collecting more and more cases to try to find patterns and understanding it. And now, 50 years later, I'm still trying to understand it.
1: All right, Rick. <laughs> Bruce, I'm going to kind of piggyback on that, sort of, kind of. Uh, the, the event that I described in uh, that I experienced in the broadcast version, my personal doctor, they had to check me out to make sure that I didn't have some damage to me that was going to end up being die a week or two later, sent me to his friend, a psychiatrist, and at no time did the psychiatrist respond to what I told him my personally, my, my sensations and all that, that uh, the calmness and the time dilation and all that, uh, he, he went after a whole different uh, avenue. So I guess the question is, are there other psychiatrists like you that are exploring this, this field and trying to find answers? There are now. Uh, there probably were not when you had
2: your experience and, you know, in fact, yeah, I, I've heard from a lot of people who had near-death experiences who started to tell their doctors about it and were quickly labeled psychotic and referred for <laughs> psychiatric treatment. And that's pretty so inappropriate. These people, <laughs> yeah. people are not mentally ill. They don't have those problems. Um, they just had a very bizarre experience. But they're normal people in an abnormal situation. But now there are a lot of doctors and psychiatrists and psychologists who are taking this very seriously and are doing good research into it. And certainly a lot of clinicians who are not doing research but are now knowledgeable about it and are trying to help their patients come to terms with this and understand what happened to them.
0: Okay. Uh, Bruce, I'm going to take things in a slightly different uh, direction. Mm -hmm. I'm a historian by training, and uh, television and the movies are endlessly – Getting everything about the a historical event wrong in the uh, in the name of creating something that will sell advertising or put people in theater seats or whatever, and it drives historians crazy and or makes us laugh hysterically uh, when we see that i 'm wondering how because I know that there have been uh, near-death depictions in television and movies and so forth. I'm wondering how uh, Hollywood and the networks have done in your area.
2: Oh, wow. That's a, that's a big question. Eric. Um, there actually have been uh, movies about near-death experiences going back to the 1920s. Um, very few of them, but there's maybe one every decade in which someone tried to uh, dramatize one of these experiences. Uh, some people have even said that um, Alice in Wonderland, um, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, um, The Wizard of Oz is a near-death experience. Uh, Dorothy gets hit on the head during a tornado and then has this fantastic near-death experience in which she goes to another realm and has all these wonderful experiences and then comes back to her normal life again. Um, that may be a little extreme, but there are lots of examples of near-death experiences in movies going back into the 20s, 30s, and 40s. In recent decades, when there's been a lot more knowledge about NDEs, they have been um, sort of sensationalized by Hollywood and by the, the television networks, as you said, to try to uh, capture uh, watchers, uh, viewers, and, and sell more products. And a lot of them has been have been um, over-sensationalized and not totally accurate, Uh, but there have been some some rather good um, uh, dramatizations which are more faithful to what really goes on.
0: Is there one that you really like that that comes to the top of your head?
2: Uh, Well, I think the best one was um, called Resurrection, uh, the original Resurrection with Ellen Burstyn in it. Uh, There was a remake later on that was, again, more sensationalized, but that one was, I think, one of the best dramatizations. Um, It showed the experience briefly, and then focused for most of the time about how she dealt with this coming back to life. Uh, She happened to be in a fundamentalist, a Protestant community that that really did not accept this at all. And she had a great deal of trouble with the way her life had been changed as a result of this
1: experience. Um,
0: Okay,
1: Uh, Rick. Bruce, I'd like to go back to something you said during the broadcast portion, and and uh, was going to jump in and didn't. Uh, Jay asked, "What is death?" Uh, yes. The the brain obviously is putting out brain waves, electromagnetic or elect- electrical signals, what have you. Uh, have you had an opportunity at all um, to determine what uh, when the brain starts functioning, it stops functioning, is that in fact death? And in these near-death experiences, uh, is there any evidence that the brain waves slow down or are scrambled or are or, or atypical?
2: Well, as you might imagine, it, it's almost impossible to get a measure of brain waves while someone's in a near-death state. It usually takes 20 to 30 minutes to put the 126 electrodes on someone's head and you're not going to take the time to do that when you're resuscitating yes. someone. But there have been some examples where people were having their brain waves measured, having EEGs when they had their near-death events. Um, and one of them occurs in a, in a rare operation called a hypothermic circulatory arrest, where they have to drain all the blood out of your body to do emergency procedures. And they measure what's going on in the brain at the time. Um uh, and so there in been a few cases of that where we definitely know that there was no electrical activity in the brain uh, for an extended period of time, a half hour or so. We also know that um, in cardiac arrest, where the heart stops, within uh, 10 to 20 seconds, the brain waves slow down greatly and eventually stop. Um, and yet people come back from that cardiac arrest, about 15 to 20 percent of those, describing elaborate near-death experiences that they often describe as the most vivid experience of their lives when their brains were virtually not functioning. Now, how do we know what's really going on in the brain at that time? In normal, everyday life, we assume that the cerebral cortex, the part that you measure with the EEG, is responsible for all our thoughts and feelings and perceptions, and that part of the brain is definitely stopped uh, during cardiac arrest. We know that from the EEG. But there are parts of the brain that aren't measured by the EEG in the deeper areas of the brain, the brain stem, uh, the cerebellum. And it's plausible that there may be some electrical activity in those parts of the brain when the cortex has stopped functioning. We have no reason to think that's true, but it's, it's possible it may be happening. Um, sure. There have been some studies with animals in which they were measuring brain activity when they killed the animals, is done with, with, mostly with rats. And they find that with some rats, there's a brief surge in electrical, a little burst of electrical activity for about 20 to 30 seconds after they are sacrificed, after they are killed. Uh, Now, this doesn't happen with all of them. It happens in some, but not all. And it's actually wiped out by if you anesthetize the animals first. And we know that anesthesia does not eliminate near-death experiences. So it's not clear what, if any,
0: relevance this has to NDEs in humans. Ed, you get the honor of the last question.
1: Okay. Um, <clears throat> Dr. Grayson, you mentioned earlier that there are a lot of other um, scientists that are working on different aspects um, of, this, of this area. Um, what are some of the other approaches or the other angles that researchers are looking at this from?
2: Oh, there's a a huge, huge range. Most clinicians are are the ones who are doing this research, and they are focusing on the the clinical aspects of what happens to someone after the near-death event, the after-effects, the profound changes in attitudes, beliefs, values, and ultimately behavior. But there are now increasingly people involved in neurophysiology, neurochemistry, neuroanatomy who are getting interested in looking at what might be going on in the brain when this is happening. And, for example, comparing it with other types of spiritual experiences, uh, drug-induced experiences, and so forth. There are also scientists now who are looking at the cross-cultural differences if they can find any between people in different religions and different cultures who report near-death experiences and trying to tease out what effect does your expectation or belief system have on shaping a near-death experience.
0: All right. Well, we would like to thank our guest for this 442nd show, Dr. Bruce Grayson, Chester Carlson, Professor Emeritus of Psychiatry at the University of Virginia, who's talked to us about his book after a doctor explores what near-death experiences reveal about life and beyond. The history buffs for today's show were Rick Sweet and Ed Broders. You can listen to ROI as it's being broadcast on Friday nights on KALA HD2 88.5 FM and 106.1 FM in the Quad City region at 9.30 p.m. You can also listen to the show as it's being broadcast on TuneIn.com. Put KALAHD2 in the search box and look for ROI. Many of our previously recorded shows can be heard at SoundCloud.com. Just put KALA Radio, all one word, in the search. Click on the first icon and scroll down to find ROI shows. You can also find ROI on all of your favorite streaming platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. ROI is recorded at Station KALA. St. Ambrose University.